welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. On the day this happens, you're never thinking that this could happen. On the day that this incredible thing takes place, you could never imagine that this could take place. And on the night you experience this, you're not wondering, how am I going to handle this? The truth is, friends, in many ways, we experience conflict as an alien invasion, something we are not prepared for, even though it seems to be a regular, common part of life. Not only are we not prepared for it, or sometimes don't expect it, we are not equipped to handle it. And I I think this is true for any of us, no matter what our story or ethnic background or age or stage of life. (laughs) Um, In many ways, we have learned primarily through our family of origin, which where we say you're more likely, uh, where where more things are caught than they're taught, as in we're immersed in them, surrounded by them, more than just someone telling us something. What we catch often from our family of origin is, um, you know, like some not good ways of dealing with conflict or generally that, ooh, all conflict is bad. In fact, it's interesting whenever I do a session, and I always do a session with couples that I'm preparing for uh, marriage and premarital counseling, we always do a session on conflict. Sometimes there's multiple sessions because we'll say a lot of us kind of repeated what we saw in our family of origin, or we vowed never to repeat what we saw in our family of origin. Some of us fall into patterns of the way we do conflict right away um, and we adopt it. And if it was loud and angry and our family of origin is kind of how we do, or be, if it was, we vowed never to do conflict like that. But generally we'd say, no, I didn't see a good model of can- conflict. Others would say, I never saw any conflict. I, therefore, I never saw any conflict resolution. So when it comes, I'm surprised. And secondly, I have no idea how to resolve this. Well, we are uh, in a series that we're calling Two Ears, One Mouth, The Anatomy of Healthy Conversation. And um, this is actually aimed at helping us, not just as individuals within our interpersonal relationships, figure out the complexity of conflict and conversation, but as a community um, to learn how to do this better with each other and so that we as a church would become a safe place for a world that feels fractured and fragmented and conflicted. And specifically today, we want to talk about the fact that um, it's possible to fight a good fight. That conflict in itself is not actually bad. It actually can provide and produce something really good and beautiful in our lives. We don't need to be afraid of conflict. We don't need to shy away from it. We don't need to hope it never comes up because it's possible to fight a good fight. And yet... We need to learn how to do that. How do we actually fight a good fight? Again, not just in your interpersonal relationships, in your families, in your friendships, in your marriages, in your workplaces or schools, but also as a community. In many ways, the church is meant to be a gift to the world as, as, as relationships for those who come close to us and for as we are in the world. And one of the ways we're meant to do that is because we know how to fight a good fight, that we actually have healthy conflict that produces something beautiful and good. Sadly, 
the church in general, or perhaps Christians or Christian families have not done this really any better than the world around us. And so many people have actually walked away from faith because of the mess of conflict they saw in their, quote, Christian home growing up, or perhaps have walked away from a church or the church literally walked away from them through splits or just falling apart because we didn't know how to do this well. And so we need to learn, we need to wade into this. We need to look it in the eye. We need to say, how do we learn to fight a good fight? I mean, what's interesting about the scriptures, the story of God and us told all the way through history, and now that we have in a book that we call the Bible, it's really a library of 66 books, is we see all kinds of conflict all the way through the story, mostly dysfunctional (laughs) in individuals and families and tribes and nations and even in the faith community. And yet when Jesus arrives and the writers of the New Testament began to write letters to these new communities of Jesus followers, it's very interesting. What you'll find is in many of the letters, and the one we're going to look at today in a few moments, it begins with all of the stuff that we would call theological and very heady and like, this is who Jesus is. And this is what it means that he's forgiven you. This is what it means that he's Lord and Savior. And this is what it means for you personally of your identity and that you're forgiven and that you've been adopted into a family and all this good stuff. And then later on, the letters always necessarily start to move the word towards the more practical issues in that particular faith community. If that's true about who Jesus is, if that's true about who you are, okay, husbands and wives, let's talk about your marriages. Okay, parents and children, let's talk about the way you guys relate to each other. Okay, bosses, coworkers, employees, let's talk about the way you relate to each other. Okay, church, let's talk about the way you interact with each other. You deal with conflict. Let's talk about the way the world sees you and how you handle conflict with each other and conflict with those around you, your neighbors and the people you do life with. It gets down to very practical things to actually help us to know how do we fight a good fight. It's actually good news that the scripture isn't silent on conflict. And I want you to listen to a few verses that occur near the end of a letter uh, written to a church in Ephesus, really actually to a region of churches in Central Asia and and, um, where modern day Turkey is, as it gets down to some of the practical um, issues of what we're going on in the church and what this writer says it means to actually fight a good fight. So let's listen together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, I mean, at least one of the things we can conclude from this letter that we only have half of a conversation, right? We have this letter. We don't know what was going on. We don't know the details. Conflict seems inevitable. And this writer is not surprised in one sense that this is happening within a community of faith. It's like, guys, I can't believe this is happening. Like, shut it down. You've totally failed and screwed up. It's like, no, but he's writing into, and in fact, um, in this uh, chapter, and then it goes on to talk to um, husbands and wives and parents and children and employees and employers, and generally the church as a whole in terms of how it's interacting, made up of all these different communities, but collectively um, on this issue of conflict. And, and here's the challenge with this, 
is um, we could read it and read it quickly, even if you've never read it before. He's sort of going, is, we could oversimplify and go, yeah, d don't do this. Like, be better, you know? <laughs> and quite frankly, friends, it's not new to you. I mean, probably since you were a little kid in the books your parents read, read to you, there was some subtle messages in there about getting along and being kind and not losing control. And like, this is stuff we've heard our whole lives. It's not new, right? But I think the problem is, is that we can read a list like this and go flying by it and not realize what it's saying to us about the way we deal with conflict, about the reasons we shy away from it, or it produces not, something not very good in our lives. We have to actually listen. And one of the key verses in here, it says here, in your anger, do not sin, which is actually saying it's possible within emotions like anger or conflict or whatever, that you could choose an unhealthy or even sinful response. We often think of sin as just like, oh, doing bad things. But no, like here in this context, it's saying, hey, in your anger, it's possible when you're angry, when you're amped up or when you're feeling emotions or hurt or whatever, that you could end up choosing to handle or respond to those emotions in a way that is sinful or in a way that is unhealthy, that doesn't produce something good. And if I can step back for a little bit, it's sort of borrowing from psychology and some of the summaries around this. And even just if you think about this in your own life, or I think about this in my life, probably four key ways in which we choose um, uh, unhealthy responses to conflict. One way is to be aggressive. An aggressive response to conflict is an unhealthy response. And that's with uh, angry words or angry tone or being loud or going on the attack, using words, tone, power, posture um, to attack, to, to be aggressive, to insist on being right and to insist on being heard, to insist that you are right, to always having to get the last word or perhaps resorting to criticism or contempt um, or just kind of uh, like, a, like, a, like an aggressive attacking the person's ideas, discounting the other person's feelings. No, like this is why that's wrong or you couldn't feel that way or here I'll tell you why that feeling is invalid or un unfounded or just um, uh, at beginning to attack the person where contempt for who they are comes into play. An aggressive response to conflict is an unhealthy and a sinful response. But on the opposite side, equally unhealthy and also sinful, is a passive response to conflict. A passive response is one of silence, of folding arms, of turning away, of walking out of the room, of a refusal to engage, not listening, not acknowledging, um, not being willing to actually talk. And here's what's interesting. It seems like a less damaging way to do conflict. And sometimes some of us choose this approach if we grew up with a home that was very aggressive or we were on the wrong end of that. Um, but it is as damaging as aggressive because when someone refuses to speak or refuses to engage, what they're saying is, you're not even worth my words. I'm not even gonna waste time on you or on this. I'm gonna give you the cold shoulder. And maybe that's just for, for that day or maybe that's for a week or maybe that's for months ignoring, refusing to reply, refusing to talk back. Potentially sometimes kind of slander coming in or we gossip where we'll tell other people what we're thinking about that person or whatever, but we won't actually talk to them. Aggressive, passive. Another unhelpful one or unhealthy and sinful one is defensive. And that's where, oh yeah, oh, you want, oh, you know what? You want to talk about that? Well, let's talk about you. Oh, really? You think I do that? Oh, this is blame. 
This is defending. This is saying, well, this is keeping a record of wrong. Oh, well, let's talk about all the times you've done that. A defensive one cannot own anything, cannot. A defensive posture refuses to admit wrong for themselves or always has a reason as to why the way they acted or what they said or what they've done was justified based on what you did, based on what the circumstances did, based on the way the world is, based on the way my family is, based on the way that God is or did or didn't do. The defensive approach, the defensive response to conflict, nothing sticks to them. It's always on uh, someone else's plate to deal with. And then lastly, evasive. An evasive person um, uh, doesn't want to acknowledge, wants to avoid. And sometimes that avoidance will be just changing the subject or of uh, never bringing up anything that potentially might raise conflict. If it did before, it'll never come up again. Or perhaps placating, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, no, you're right, I'm sorry. Just saying you're right, you're right to get it over with and move on. Or perhaps like, you know, kind of saying, oh, yo, no, oh, no, I'm just having a bad day. Not being honest. A, 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 an evasive person won't be upfront with what they're really feeling or what's going on. Oh, no, no, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing you said. It's just me. When all the while, no, it is you. It's not me, but I won't bring it up. That's an evasive posture, slightly different than a passive one. But all four of these, aggressive, passive, defensive, evasive, are on all unhealthy <clears throat> responses to conflict. They don't produce something helpful. And as I said, we can come at these from, from our family background, what we saw um, growing up that we have repeated or what we saw and we vowed never to repeat um, or from some of our personality, right? For those of us that are more extroverted or good with words, we might be more aggressive or we think quickly on our feet and sometimes talents can be a shadow side when it comes to conflict. Um, or perhaps past hurts, just our own wounds so often inform how we respond to wounding situations or difficult situations or anger or hurt. And here's the thing. We have to realize as we're looking at this text, um, without understanding our own, and each of us lean probably to one of these more than the others. And if we don't understand how we particularly lean, we're going to read a passage like this and not realize what are the specific words and ideas that are actually speaking to me, because we don't all respond the same. Each of us is unique and different. And so part of the reason I bring up these responses, unhealthy responses to conflict is to help us identify where am I at with this stuff? And therefore, what are the things that this, the passage that the writer is saying to the church, hey, you need to pay attention to this stuff. This is how you're meant to respond. If we don't know how we typically respond, we're not going to realize these words are for us. For example, and he says, get rid of all rage and brawling and be kind and compassionate. That's to the aggressive person. If you're aggressive, you have that. He says, be, uh, get rid of rage. And this brawling isn't like WWE. The word actually is like an onomatopoeia in the Greek where a crow, a croaking, a rah, rah, like it's a crying out. For someone who's quick to cry out, who's quick to use words, who's quick to be aggressive, he says, get rid of, if you're aggressive, get rid of that kind of rage or that instinct to cry out. Instead, bring kindness and compassion into your conversation. Or for someone who's passive or evasive, he says, stop lying and speak the truth. Right? People who are either passive or evasive are not actually being honest with their neighbor, with their friend, with their loved one, with the person in the faith community. They're not saying what they really feel. They're not saying what really hurt them. They're refusing to speak the truth. So he says, don't do that. Stop lying. And then he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's a picture of saying, it's not like saying, oh, you always have to resolve something before you go to sleep. People, Frankly, sometimes 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, it's not the time to be texting or calling or talking or trying to solve something. His point is, 
Don't allow days to go by and you remain angry. You remain frustrated. You remain bitter, right? Someone who's passive or evasive, you're allowing days to go by where the hurt feelings are still there, where you're avoiding the conversation, where you won't bring it up or you won't bring it up again. He says, don't do that. If that's your bent, don't. Be, be, um, actually be aggressive in saying, I need to bring this up. I need to be honest. And then he says, if you're, if you're defensive, he says, remember that God through Christ forgave you. Remember you also, if you want, if you're quick to point out what other people are doing and why they didn't, remember that God doesn't bring up your past wrongs with you. God also has forgiven you. He doesn't blame you. He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't bring up the past and say, oh yeah, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? Scriptures actually say, as far as the East is from the West, he's removed our sins from us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And so to the, to the defensive person, Paul says, hey, remember, God forgave you. That is the starting point. The key verse in this whole thing is it says, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Now that word unwholesome that's translated in English, we can think like, oh, crude joking or, you know, whatever, but that's not what it means. The word unwholesome in the Greek actually is referring to like food that is rotted or something that is decayed or a building that has been torn down. And that's why he says, instead of unwholesome, build up. Instead of using your words that, that rot or letting things sit and rot and decay, if you're passive or evasive, or using your words to tear down if you're aggressive or defensive. Instead of that, he said, no, use your words, your talk, your speech to build up, to preserve, to strengthen, to build others up. He said, this is the difference. And whether we are aggressive with our words and tearing down and we are passive and allowing something to decay or rot or fall apart over time because we refuse to engage, Instead, we need to actively engage with our words and use them to preserve others, to strengthen others, to bring healing, and to build others up. All of this really is about a posture as people towards conflict to repent, to repair, and to rebuild. That, that's kind of what's implied in this whole thing. Repent, repair, rebuild. And I wanna, we want to do a little bit of each of those today. The first one is just to repent. It's actually to confess or to begin to own my own unhealthy and sinful response to conflict. And so we're actually going to take a few moments just right here in the middle of the service, and then the band's going to lead us in a song that we sing often of confession or repentance to allow you and I to reflect on the things in us that are unhealthy in the way they respond. And so first, just want to give you a moment right now. Um, where do you lean? Which of these four unhealthy postures do you lean to? Is it, are you aggressive with your words or your tone, your attitude or your posture? Are you um, on the attack not wanting to acknowledge someone else's point. Or perhaps you're passive. You're silent. You don't engage. You find other ways to get back at them without using words, without staying in the conversation. Or are you more likely to be defensive? Like you don't want to admit wrong. Nothing sticks to you. There's always a reason for why you had to respond. Or you bring others' issues up again and again. You keep a track of wrongs. 
Or perhaps you're evasive, you avoid conflict. You just wanna you keep the peace, you placate. You might even pretend to say, yeah, no, that's right, uh, it's fine. You're not telling the truth or you're admitting wrong when you don't need to just so you can get the conversation over with, not speaking up. Some of these sound like they're virtuous or whatever, but they're all unhealthy in a different way or form. And so just take a moment right now. Maybe you've been thinking about this already. Which, were, which one do you lean to? In fact, ask yourself this question. Which of these would the people close to me say I lean towards? Like, not just what you think, but what would the people close to you say? And let's be specific, even as we're thinking, right here in the presence of God. Which relationship or situation in your life is most affected by this right now? Probably there's an individual relationship, a specific one or a situation where this is happening and where your posture and approach, because it's unhealthy, is not actually helping. It's not actually producing something good. Now let's just take a moment. I'm gonna give you a couple minutes to pray. And here's some words that you can use to pray. This is a prayer or confession, really. To admit that this is sinful and unhealthy. Just pray to say, okay, like this is, I have to admit, this is my posture, this is my approach. <laughs> it's not healthy. To ask for forgiveness and cleansing. To ask for his help to remember his grace to you. And ask him, Lord, who do I need to ask forgiveness from? Like, there's, this isn't just about me confessing to you. There's probably someone on the other side of this conversation that I need to talk to. So with those four sort of prayer prompts up there, just take two minutes in your heart and your mind to be quiet before God and to pray and to just ask him.
want to just take a moment now and pause and let the band um, lead us in a song we've sung often, or maybe it is new to you. But one of the lines it says, and the, the song just says, Lord, I need you, which, man, true understatement of the year. <laughs> but it says, um, teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And maybe it's helpful to sing that song today in this idea of the temptation to go to our default unhealthy response to conflict. So you can just offer that up, say, Lord, I'm tempted to be aggressive. I'm tempted to be passive. I'm tempted to be defensive. I'm tempted to be evasive. Help me in that moment. I need you. So let's sing that together. That's the repentance side of things. What about repair and rebuild, which is really implicit in this whole thing? I want to get really practical here just as we end our, our time together with, with how do we do this? Because probably there's been some relationship coming to mind, um, but certainly even as we think about ourselves as a church community, how do we grow in this? And how, do we, how are we like this in the world around us? How are we helping to repair and rebuild in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, with others? And we ourselves living that through and learning how to do this ourselves so we can help others <laughs> with it <laughs> to learn to do it as well. Well, on the repair side, I want to give you, uh, for those of you that say, oh yeah, like I have a relationship or relationships that are in need of repair. Like how do I, I've repented of it, like confessed it to God, but like how do I begin to repair the relationship? I just want to give you maybe four lines, one of these you could use just to start. Sometimes we just need the words. Or some of you just need to say, okay, (laughs) I'm sorry for. You need to go to that person and maybe you're going to say sorry for the way that your, your unhealthy response, you could even tell them, hey, I was in church on Sunday. We talked about this and I realized this or God really put this on my heart. And you were in church too, I know. And this is what I felt like. I'm sorry for this, what I've done or my response. Maybe it's just saying sorry for that. Or you may want to say, I really value blank about you. Right? Part of repair is to, is to preserve, is to strengthen, is to build up. If we have used our words to tear down, if we've become critical or even, even displaying contempt in our relationships, we need to say, you know what, I really value, I don't say this enough. I really value this about you. Or perhaps, thank you for this, right? Like to actually be grateful, to express gratitude to someone who we're in a close relationship. Thank you so much for being like this. I value this or thank you for this. Or perhaps you need to say, like, if you've been on the passive evasive side and you haven't really been being honest, maybe to say, I I haven't been open with you about this, or I haven't been fully honest with you about this. I want to. I want to trust you with my heart, with my emotions. I want to tell you what's been going on. (laughs) And if you're on the other side of one of those things, you need to fight the instinct to be defensive or aggressive because perhaps... The person you're in relationship with in your family or your workplace, your friendship, whatever, is evasive and passive because you're aggressive and defensive. So if you hear somebody say to you, hey, I haven't been open with you. It's not, not the time. Well, how come you never told me this thing? Oh, please, I want to hear more. We're trying to repair. And then on the rebuild side, for as we say, hey, like even if you say, oh, I'm, our relationship isn't in disrepair, but we don't do conflict well. I want to get better at this. Or for all of us, how do we grow 
uh, and strengthening conflict. Uh, what came to mind for me as I was writing this was a, was a book I actually read in university, my negotiations class by um, kind of a world-renowned negotiator, William Urey. He's a professor at Harvard. He founded the Harvard Negotiation uh, Department, but he actually was involved in negotiating conflicts in the Balkans and the Middle East. And But what he writes about the way we tend to do conflict together, I think is broadly applicable to everything, whether it's the church and how we interact with each other or in the world or in our marriages or in our workplaces or in our friendships or our extended families or between parents and children or uh, children and elderly parents, however this is, um, <coughs> I think it's actually really applicable. And, and here's how it works. Typically what happens is, you know, there's a problem that we're trying to deal with or some kind of issue that needs to be resolved or perhaps like a decision to be made. <laughs> and uh, this comes up in all of our relationships in our home and our family and our workplaces or schools or churches. And we end up on either side of this issue or problem and we begin by stating our position. Um, and, you know, let's call this position A, like, well, I want this about this issue or decision or problem. And the other person says, well, I think this, and this, this becomes position A and position B. Um, and now, once we have started to establish that, this is what's called positional bargaining. And so now, it's not even just about the problem or the issue, it is now A versus B. I want this, well, I think this. And once the positions are stated, um, it begins to now actually turn the problem or issue into a battlefield. <laughs> where now we have each taken up our respective positions and we begin to, now the only goal is, well, I need to defend A. I need to defend my opinion, my idea, my facts, and you need to defend B. And now all of the conversation we start to have is, is, is about either defending B or attacking A, right? And so if you make a point and says, well, I think this, I'm not gonna wanna acknowledge that point because that would weaken my position and give you um, m more prominence. So I'm gonna go and attack your position. Well, this is why I think your feelings don't matter or this is why I think you're being unrealistic or this is why your solution won't work. And so we are now in this position where we can't even acknowledge whether the other person is saying something good or wise because we don't want to weaken our position. We need to strengthen it. And what Yuri suggests is we need to actually abandon positional bargaining, abandon our positions, in a sense, leave the bunker, come out together, and instead of thinking about this as a field of battle, we sit together and we ask each other this question, what do you see? As in, we are genuinely curious what does the other person really think? To not assume we know why they're saying something or what they're saying something. In fact, we want to know not just about the issues, but like, oh, tell me about your concerns. Tell me about your hopes. Tell me about your fears. Tell me about what you really are, are why is this so important to you? Or what about this is making you feel hurt? Or what is this bringing up for you? Tell me a little bit of your story. Does this remind you of anything in the past, right? Because if we're shaped by the stories we've come out of, we're wondering like, well, what, what does this mean? And we need to actually know, or what questions do you have? Or what things do you see? We so often assume that we know what the other person thinks and why they're saying, oh, and so we begin to respond Assuming we have all the information, but we don't. So he said, what does it mean to abandon our positions, to come around and actually begin to say, oh, okay, well, here's what I see. Here's what I hope. Um, 
here's why this is so emotional for me, or here's why I responded with such fear or anger when this originally came up for you. Friends, as we start to learn how to do this and become more courageous and saying, okay, I can let my position go. I can let my, you know, like I can actually, I just want to come around with you and say, we're in this together. We want to um, have something good come out of this together. And we don't know how that will be or what that will look like. And so let's talk about it. Let me say, what do you see? What do you observe? What's really underneath this for you? And I can share my heart with you. And hopefully out of that, we begin to actually come up with a solution that wasn't apparent to either of us when the whole thing first began. Repent, repair, rebuild. And I guess my question for you is, what's next for you and with who? What's next for you and with who? For, for some of you on the repent side, you know, when you realize like, I have this posture and it's probably decades old. If you are decades old, it's probably decades old. It's as old as you <laughs> in some ways because we brought it in from our family background or something like that. And you may say, oh, this is just so instinctive for me. I shut down or I always power up or I'm always defensive or I always avoid it. Uh, if you've realized that some of the, one of the things I want to say is we have prayer ministry in our church for this kind of thing. Because sometimes this isn't just like, oh, I heard one sermon. Yeah, now I'm good. Not if we've been acting that way or we, we kind of, it was like the air we we're breathing before we even started talking, if we brought it in from our family of origin. It doesn't die easily. But Jesus is actually meant to free us from that. And so our prayer ministry, you may say, I need a prayer ministry appointment to actually get free from this pattern that I see in my life. Or perhaps you want to see a counselor. We have a roster of counselors that we trust, that we recommend people for. We have funding within our Compassion Fund to help you if you feel like I can't afford that or I don't have coverage for that in my health plan or whatever. So, so perhaps for some of you, repentance is, is like actually not just saying, I'm sorry, but saying, okay, I want to get free from this. Uh, or maybe just going to somebody and, and saying sorry and starting that journey. For others, it may be, hey, which is, which is the relationship that needs some words to repair? What's next for me to repair and with who? Or rebuilding, what is a way that I can begin, you know, if I'm dealing with a decision or an issue or a problem that I'm trying to solve with somebody else, instead of going into that sort of, um, you know, positional bargaining stuff that just drives us apart and we end up defending, who do I need to sort of uh, come alongside and say, let's look at this together. What do you see? And, and to, to begin to rebuild or to build something good together in your workplace, in your home, as a church community. In fact, next week, we're going to be talking about how do we do this as a community in a world and with a world that perhaps on many issues thinks differently than us. How do we not get sucked into positional bargaining and unhealthy postures of conflict? How do we actually bring light and healing and help to the world in the midst of what otherwise would be really divisive issues? Friends, I, my hope today is that Hope is built up in your heart to say it is possible to fight a good fight. And to learn to fight a good fight is worth it because there are things that are worth fighting over, not with each other, but for each other and, and issues that matter that are worth our time and our engagement with people we love that can produce something beautiful and good and necessary for my family, for my workplace, for my friendship circle, for my church, for my world in my community. And so I just pray that you would have a new sense and a hope in your heart to say, yeah, I want to learn how to fight a good fight.